At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is Front Row, and I'm your host, James Whiteside, principal dancer and choreographer with American Ballet Theater and the author of Center Center. Take a seat in the front row as I discuss the creative process and the business of creativity with the world's brightest stars. Sasha Radetzky has had the career of a creative vagabond. Not only was he a soloist with American Ballet Theater and a principal with Dutch National Ballet, He was the star of 2000's Center Stage and 2015's Flesh and Bone, among other film and television projects. Sasha is now the artistic director of American Ballet Theater's Studio Company, which is a pipeline for the world's best talent into the main company. 80% of all current members of ABT are former Studio Company alumni. This episode is fascinating. I talked to Sasha about his long career with ABT, his starring roles in Center Stage and Flesh and Bone, as well as his literary aspirations and fears. We try to figure out the definition of the word pedagogy, and if gog can be used as a verb, as in, you've got to be goging me. I hope you enjoy this candid conversation with Sasha. This is Front Row. Sasha Radetsky, welcome to Front Row. How are you? Good, thanks. And yourself? I'm doing great. It is very warm in New York City, so I'm cooking in my apartment slash podcast studio. But, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, yeah, it's been <laughs> it's, it's been brutal these last few days. Mm. Just right. trying to, uh, you know, stick my head in the freezer every now and then and uh, survive this. We should probably cut all of that. You know, I don't think we can now. I The awkward pause was really endearing, and I think my listeners need a little bit of levity in their day today. All right? I just realized I had nothing valuable <laughs> to contribute at that moment. That's it is right. hot. It is hot, <laughs> and we can... Yeah, I didn't want to... It's pretty banal to point that out after you said it. So, All right, well, we let's, let's dive in. Come on, let's go. So... Yeah. Um, your career is so fascinating to me, and and I'm desperate to know how it all happened and how it led you to eventually take on the artistic directorship of one of the ballet world's greatest gateways, the American Ballet Theater Studio Company. I'd like to know how it is that you arrived as the artistic director of ABT Studio Company, which is truly the pipeline for some of the greatest talent in the world. Well, first of all, thank you for that kind introduction and those very generous (laughs) words. I arrived at ABT Studio Company a couple years after I retired from the stage. 
when I retired from ABT, I was 37 and I just needed a break from ballet. I wanted really nothing to do with ballet. Wanted to put a little distance between ABT and everything that had been so familiar. Mm -hmm. And I wandered around in the wilderness a little bit, figuratively speaking, and tried some things out and had a good time, learned a lot, and eventually found myself back at ABT directing this college program called the NYU ABT Masters in Ballet Pedagogy program. Yes. It was it was founded by Raymond Lukens and uh, it offered a master's in fine arts to teachers learning who wanted to be certified in the ABT curriculum. And can you define pedagogy for our listeners slash me? Yeah. Uh, so this was a source of uh, lots of ribbing for my friends yeah. who yeah, called me a gog. Gog <laughs> became a verb. They're like, are you goging me right now? <laughs> I'd be like, oh, that's not how you spell that. Oh, are you goging me? <laughs> uh, yeah, very deserved uh, ribbing. Pedagogue, I mean, I as far as I understand it, it's uh, it's a teacher. It's yeah. somebody who who devotes uh, their life and uh, to the study of a, a certain art form. Generally, I, I think it's an art form. Um, so, pedagogy would be the yeah. study of teaching itself. Yes. Uh, who's your assistant? Let's have. Let's you have think your I have an assistant. Google That's, that real yeah. quick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to ask Alexa. <laughs> Alexa, look that up real quick. Yeah, I would say that that's what it is. And in this situation, in this circumstance, it was study. It was like studying how to become a teacher, how to teach children uh, up to say the age of eighteen. And how did that lead you to the directorship? So I, I will point out that we did have a. I did bring in a very distinguished guest mm. during the couple of years that I was directing that program. Uh, his name was James Whiteside, and he he gave a fabulous talk, and my students were absolutely starstruck, and uh, I was very grateful for your time. Yeah, I had a great time talking to them. They were so earnest and eager, and I think uh, that says a lot about the way you handle young people in the arts. It's like you have to inspire them to have interest because it's not the most obvious thing to have an interest in the arts, especially something as, you know, possibly archaic as ballet. It's like when you've got your phone, I mean, it makes more sense to just go on TikTok than go to ballet class, if you ask sure. me. So I think, you know, it, it it's a testament to the sort of cult-like fervor we can foster at American Ballet Theater, which I highly support. Yeah, it's like once you're bitten by that bug, uh, you just, I, I mean, as I said, I wanted to distance myself from ballet, but it's kind of like the mafia. Once you're out, they pull you back in. And uh, I was so grateful to be back in the fold. And we're experts, believe it or not. I, I mean, speak for yourself. I, I wouldn't claim any expert uh, status or even pedagogue. Definitely still the forever student. But you're goging me I'm right goging now. You. Anyway, I let's get this. Let's get this train back on track here. So, uh, at the same time that I that I 
got that great gig, uh, Kate Leiden, who was the artistic director of ABT Studio Company at the time, invited me yeah. to be the rehearsal director for Studio Company. So I would do the NYU program in the mornings, and then I would work with the Studio Company in the afternoons and mm -hmm. also go with them on some tours. And, and then after a couple of years, gosh, I can't remember how long, but uh, she stepped away to uh, accept the directorship of the dance program at the St. Paul school, the very prestigious boarding school in New Hampshire. She had two boys, has two boys who were also enrolled and uh, it made sense for her to um, accept that yeah. position. So the chair, the, the position of, of artistic director of ABT studio company was empty. So I applied and that's how, Kevin McKenzie, he appointed me, and uh, here I here I is a few years later. <laughs> was it an arduous interview process? No, um, I, no. I, I think by dint of having contributed daily, uh, and uh, Kevin knew knew the work, and um, of course I, yeah. I sent an application letter and uh, did interview with him. And um, I think he did his diligence and asked Kate about my expertise and uh, yeah, yeah, so and and potentially others as well. And, but I can't say that it was I, I, I was he I, he was my boss since I was eighteen, basically. Yeah, um, yeah, he knows yeah. you incredibly well. Right. Yeah. So I want to go back in time a little bit, all the way back, and uh, talk about your ballet training. You trained in San Francisco, the Bolshoi in Moscow, Kirov in Washington, D.C., and finally at School of American Ballet and American Ballet Theater summer intensives. Uh, why did you move around so much, and what did experiencing different training styles prepare you for? Well, let's see. I attended summer intensives since I was 11. That's when uh, it, Misha Baryshnikov had an ABT school for two summers. So that was mm -hmm. my first experience with a summer intensive at 890 Broadway. <laughs> it looks wow. exactly the same. Uh, yeah. Those are the ABT studios in Flatiron slash Union Square. It has been ABT's home since the 70s? The 80s, 80s? yeah. Uh, okay. They were in Columbus Circle before, and then I think they moved mm. down to 19th yeah. Street. A couple summers there, and then a summer at SAB. All the while studying in San Francisco near where I lived as a kid in Santa Cruz. And then at 15, I went to the Bolshoi in Moscow. It was just, I was invited and it seemed like quite an adventure. And the, the teacher who invited me was a legendary men's teacher who had taught famous male dancers like Vladimir Malakoff and uh, Alexei Ramansky and, and many others. So I felt like it was an opportunity I couldn't turn down. And yeah, yeah it was an adventure. It was 1992 to 1993, a really uh, interesting period in the history of Russia, just per yeah. perestroika. And then from there, we wanted to continue the Russian training. So I went to the Kirov Academy in DC. And how old were you there? 16 to 18. 16 to 18. Okay. Wow. DC. Tell me about your experience as a teenager in DC. 
It was great. I mean, we weren't in a very wealthy or safe, I would say, area. Uh, so I definitely learned how to be street smart and how to take care of myself uh, uh-huh. in the inner city. Yeah, It's interesting because people have an idea of Washington, D.C. as the beautiful monument. Political hub. Po- yeah. Political hub. And the museums and uh, the mall and the monuments, the cemeteries, et cetera, et cetera. But there are areas of extreme poverty and impoverishment and squalor. And uh, Kurov Academy at the time was uh, in or close to some of those areas. Wow. But the training was great and made a lot of friends and had a couple of terrific teachers who. Uh, whose influence I still feel today. And yeah. at the time, ABT used to tour to DC to the Kennedy Center each year. And when I was, I think I had just turned 18, I went and took, took class and auditioned and was offered a, a position. Court of Ballet, right? Court of Ballet contract? Uh, no, I was offered apprentice for that Met season that spring and the tours. Okay. But Silly me, I thought, oh, I'll go to Turkey, Greece, and Italy the next time. I want to finish school. I want to finish out my year at the Kirov Academy. So I turned it down, um, or rather, I, I postponed it until the fall. Mm-hmm. Joined as an apprentice and and studio company in the fall, and then joined full time as an apprentice that following January 1996, and then the next month, Cordovelli. Wow! So it's very interesting. I. I was faced with a similar choice. I was offered a Boston Ballet contract uh, for their apprentice company when I was just finishing out my junior year in high school. And I said to my mother, I was like, I feel like I'm not really very good yet. I'm very thrilled that I got this contract, but I think another year of training wouldn't hurt. And she was like, no, screw that. You can do high school while you're working. (laughs) And so I went and joined the company. I'm really glad I did. Got like a... Uh, an extra year out of it, you know? Yeah. I have mixed feelings about that because I feel like now with studio company being a little bit more robust and generally speaking, the dancers spend a longer period of time in studio company than in the nineties. And I felt like I made all my mistakes on the big stage of American Ballet Theater's main company and, and learned the ropes and learned how to move differently and did, went through that entire transition period under that bright glare of the main stage. Uh, and I could have used a couple of years of just learning the ropes and developing a little bit more, I think, in a second company. Hmm. I hear that. Was there studio company when you joined the company? Did it exist? Yeah, it was the first year that it was being reprised. It had taken maybe a 10-year hiatus. Um, and was this with John Meehan? It was with Jeremy Blanton. I think John okay. took it over a couple of years after I was there. So it definitely looked different than today's iteration or John Meehan's uh, studio company. In what ways? We didn't perform very much, uh, and mm-hmm. it was definitely more of a training program. Uh, I think, yeah, it was much smaller, fewer dancers, yeah. 
we didn't commission any rep. I mean, Studio Company in its current iteration is a touring company in its own right. There are commissions, there are world, literally world tours. It's, I feel like the Studio Company might tour more than the main company at this point. Am I incorrect? Perhaps, perhaps you are not incorrect. Perhaps you are correct. <laughs> I have to be very circumspect in what I say here. I know, I know. I'm I do you on the spot. I apologize. no, no, all good. Uh, we we have been very fortunate to have a lot of tours, including overseas. Uh, mm. Yes. All right, I'm going to move on here, and I want to ask how you landed the role of Charlie in 2000's Center Stage, which is now considered quite the cult classic. Funny how that is, right? Yeah. Isn't that incredible? And it really is. Do you know how many people, very young people, people who absolutely were just out of the womb when that movie came out, and they talk about Center Stage? It is wild. Yeah, I know. We filmed it so long ago, and yet it feels like yesterday. And uh, it's been fun to see a new generation dancers who weren't born when it came out, cover Mm -hmm. it and uh, be tickled that that's their director or their teacher. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty timeless as, as the themes go, you know? Sure. Yeah, for sure. But it's not timeless in it's styling. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, and that's a good thing, I think. So tell me how you got the part. What happened? All those styles are coming back though. Isn't that? You bet. Uh, it's wild. I think they should stay where they were. Yeah, me too, man. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know about those pants. <laughs> Get like four people in one leg. Yep. Roomy. Right. Roomy. Uh, yeah. So the casting directors for Center Stage, they combed the main companies in the States and also went to Europe and invited a few people whom they deemed potential cast members to audition and Mm -hmm. I was one of those folks and I auditioned for the role of Sergei, the Russian guy. Gotcha. Blank on his name for a second and didn't fare so well with my Russian accent. And I thought Uh that was that. And then a few weeks later, we're in the middle of the Met season and I was called back to uh, read for Charlie, which until that point had been Carlos, uh, and they were seeking a Latinx gentleman. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. They reimagined it as, uh, I guess a white dude. As a California. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. I had no idea. That's an interesting tidbit. So did you immediately lawyer up and get yourself an agent and all that good stuff? I, I did get an agent who the casting agency recommended. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do remember I had to read for the directors, and then I also had to do a dance audition for Susan Stroman, who's a choreographer. Yeah, what was that like? What did that? Uh, what you have to do? I, th- I think maybe a few phrases of movement, and then... Yeah. I think she wanted to maybe see some Bravo or dancing. So just did yeah. some Gran Allegro, some Gran Pirouettes. Mm-hmm. Those are big jumps and big turns. Wow, that's so fascinating. That feels very foreign to me as a, as a whole thing that happened. I can't quite picture that happening in today's media climate, like a big sort of 
taking itself very seriously ballet film. I feel like the closest we've gotten to that was another project you actually did, was, which was Stars' Flesh and Bone. And it's very interesting. You've, you've got your name all over the big ballet, like the real ones. You know what I mean? There are a bunch of uh, other types of shows, and I'm probably speaking entirely too freely on this, but I've seen a lot of, of really mediocre things uh, based on really tropey things in, in the ballet world. And I don't see them lifting ballet up into a good place. Um, and even Flesh and Bone was was difficult, but that was more about family, in my opinion. But I could be wrong. I don't know. What was your experience working on Flesh and Bone uh, when compared with working on Center Stage? I mean, your character was like incredibly different. Well... <sighs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At when when we filmed Center Stage, I was definitely at a different point in my career and in my life. So I was 22, and my career just seemed like this endlessly unfolding landscape. And I was just yeah. sort of taking my first steps into that field. And when you're 22, you can shoot takes over and over again, and uh, and your body's endlessly pliant and resilient and just everything's new in general. And you have that sort of energy and and vigor of of youth. Um, So it really, and also it was a much more compressed period of time. So we shot center stage, I think in five or six weeks as opposed to flesh and bone, which was four or five month process. I mean, it's wild to think of you shooting that film in in such a short amount of time. Yeah, I think we had maybe a week or two of rehearsals beforehand. And I remember flying home early from a tour in Japan. So they flew me and I was like, I don't know, maybe this is obnoxious, but it was first class. And I think I was on the top floor of a 747. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh my gosh, one can get used to this. Yeah. 22 and really living (laughs) getting spoiled. So yeah, that was just a a really heady experience. And, and a lot of the dancers who were in that film in center stage were friends. I mean, they were colleagues from ABT and counterparts from city ballet. And uh, it was a, a, a real community centered endeavor. Flesh and Bone, I was already 30, 
97, I guess. And I was retiring from ABT at the same time. And I was just more focused. It was less about having fun, getting through it, representing my art form as best as possible. It's very interesting to me how the film and the television series almost mirror the themes of your life at the times you filmed them. Mm, Sure. Like there's that sort of youthful innocence, honestly, of center stage. And then there's the retirement, the, the darkness of not knowing what's next. I don't know. I think that's rather interesting. Yeah. Uh, Did the commercial Sorry, go on Sasha. Please. please. I was just going to add that uh, for center stage, another thing is that the character was, wasn't a huge stretch. I wasn't called upon to embody a, a character that is just vastly different from my own. Whereas with flesh and bone, my character was a little bit more unsavory and uh, mm-hmm. it didn't come as naturally. I'll say. Did you enjoy that more then? No. No. Huh. Fascinating. Did the commercial success of center stage affect your ballet career in a negative, positive, neutral way? I wouldn't say it affected my career at ABT. But it definitely opened up a lot of doors for me as far as freelance gigs. Yeah. Dancing, galas, festivals, teaching opportunities, etc. Yeah, which before social media opportunities was the best way for a star dancer to make cash outside of their salary in a ballet company. So nowadays, a lot of people in ballet companies not only try to get those gigs, which are quite few and far between at this point in history, but they also hustle on social media to try and make an extra buck or two. And, you know, I can relate. <laughs> uh, so Sasha, would would you change anything about that period in your life in which you were making movies and TV shows? And is there more of that in your future? Yes and no. Yes, maybe there would be some things I would change. And no, probably not much more in my future although and why is that well i i'm not actively seeking out acting opportunities yeah Uh, i don't have an agent i also sort of have a realistic appraisal of my own abilities uh so and and as far as changing things uh, maybe i would have studied acting or or i i do think it is a craft that one has to be dedicated to just as much as ballet say um yeah at least in my case and and it's a full-time pursuit i think in order to be truly successful yeah you have to go into it with your entire heart and soul and i just kind of dabbled here and there and and was really lucky to have these opportunities Uh, but i think sure if i were to go back again maybe i would regularly take some acting classes on the side Sounds fun, honestly. Yeah, for sure. And it, it would have helped uh, my my dancing, I'm sure. Although acting for the camera and acting for a live audience are very different animals. Especially in ballet. Ballet acting is so strange. I can't believe it sometimes. It looks crazy. But it's also incredibly beautiful and, and very moving and musical. And it's all these 
really unique things, but it is insane. It's insane, and it's a particular challenge, right, to keep it authentic and and keep it natural um, and not have it be contrived and yet still communicate to the top rafters. So let the story you're telling land with an audience that is 100 yards away. And, you know, you're telling old, old stories in an old way to new audiences. It's, it's just a challenge. But I think if there's a company in the States that does it well, it's ABT. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's also part of why we love what we do. If it just adds this other incredibly challenging dimension. So you're not just move. It's not just physical. It's not, yes. yeah, you, you really have to tap into uh, so many facets of, of your artistry. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really nice to focus on something other than just like being fierce. You know what I mean? Well, you, you have that down. <laughs> that's like, that's your baseline. <laughs> My baseline is. <laughs> no, but I always, I always love character parts where you don't have to stress about the dancing and you, you can yeah. yeah pour yourself completely into the acting. I'd like to do Lady Capulet someday. Oh man, isn't that a great role? <laughs> it's so yeah. fun. It just looks like a blast. That's in Romeo and Juliet. For all my listeners out there. Um, <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but I have to give a shout out to Stella Abrera, my wife, who is a fabulous Lady Capulet. And I yes, agree. And she, there's, there's a very iconic scene when Tybalt dies and Lady Capulet bursts into the marketplace and weeps over his corpse, mourns uh, very, very demonstrably, very, uh, yeah, yeah. In, in, very, in a very heart-wrenching way. It's a very powerful scene. And, and Stella would work herself up into this frenzy backstage before she would go on. So, like, the tears were just like, shooting out of her eyes. And wow. then... And then just leave it all on stage and the curtain would come down. And if I was Tibble, you know, I'm this like lifeless corpse. The curtain would come down. I turn around and she'd just be sobbing and sobbing. I'd say, Mm. it's over. It's okay. It's okay. Gosh, that's so draining. Completely emotionally draining. And I don't even want to know what she was thinking about in order to go to that place. But I just have so much respect for her dedication. And I feel like that's the only way to dance. The only way to go on stage. I deeply, deeply agree. And I have seen her do that many times and I've had the great fortune to have her be my Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. Those are some of my most cherished performances. You two are maybe that I think my favorite. I, I can't, I, not even, I think, and, and I'll, that first show in Chicago and then again at the Met, you know, th- those are the gold standards for me, you two together. I appreciate that. Uh, and Thank you. Uh, I, I, I remember Stella comparing being partnered by you to being partnered by one of the other legendary partners and, and saying that with James, it was like a roller coaster ride. 
Like you always feel <laughs> secure, but it's just such a thrill. Uh, with that's... with other partners, it's more of like riding in a Cadillac. You know, you you know what you're gonna get, and it's it's so smooth and secure and and beautiful and classy. And with James, it's uh it's definitely an adventure. You always take care of your partner, um, but it's you know the the dr- adrenaline is just like throbbing through the veins. Yeah, mm. that makes me feel really really good. Thank you. Thanks for taking care of her. And thank you, Stella. Love you, Stella. Shout out. <laughs> um, I'd like to talk about your interest in writing. Oh. And uh, so you you have a quite a laundry list of freelance writing accomplishments. And I'd like to know if you've got any more up your sleeve. Is there a book coming? Wow, James, you did your research. <laughs> I like how everyone who's been on this show has been surprised that I've done research. <laughs> what does that say about me? <laughs> Is there a book? I mean, if there's a book, then I would need you to guide me through it and mentor me on how to write. Oh, please. Oh, please. You're a fabulous writer. And for those of you out there listening, you absolutely should look up some of Sasha's pieces. They're just poignant and fabulous. And I, if you don't have a book rattling around in your brain, I urge you to try. Thanks. Uh, it's definitely a dream. I, I just feel sometimes unmotiv- unmotivated to tackle it. When I did retire, I got a fellowship to NYU's Center for the Arts. Yeah. And I tried to write a novel for a few months. Emerged mm-hmm. with a lot of pages that I just wasn't very happy with, and hmm. why? I just don't think it was very good. <laughs> I love the self awareness. Very good. Yeah, I mean, it's like um, the older you get, it's you know, I with, with my studio company dancers, um, I encourage them to choreograph. Yeah, you have composition classes, regular composition classes where they explore uh, that aspect um, of themselves and their creativity. And I, I'm always impressed with what they deliver. And mm-hmm. they they don't have the hesitation and the self criticism that comes with I think ex- the experience of of knowing really what's good and what's bad and seeing Mm -hmm. people try to choreograph and fail. And uh, so they have that confidence almost um, Mm -hmm. and they just do it. It's also a safe place. Uh, But I think at the time that I was trying to write a novel, I'd already read so so much and that it can be paralyzing. You know, you don't want to write a bad sentence and you don't want to be a mediocre writer. And that's definitely, you know, it it exposes my lack of courage there and it's a chicken shit thing to say but uh but yeah i mean so the easier thing is to just not do it so i should get back and 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 give it another shot yeah i believe i believe you can yeah i think with with the right story maybe i'd be inspired uh what about your own story what about an autobiography or a series of essays yeah, um, maybe. Sorry, I don't mean to. I just, on no, I just here. don't know. I don't know that it's that interesting, but 
You don't know that. Your your language can be the interesting part. That's true. You know? That's true. Um, I, I deeply relate to the sort of innocence of youth that you speak of. Like, I mean, I started writing my book when I was 35. And I am turning 38 this coming week. And it's so funny. Very little time has passed since I wrote the book. And I feel even like when I think about what I wrote about, it was really quite innocent and adventurous the way I approached it. And it's like, I I can look at it two ways now. It can seem silly or stupid or childish, or I can be happy that I felt free enough to be silly and adventurous and, and weird. And, and there are a number of ways to look at, I don't know, your own creativity. And that's essentially what this whole podcast is about. It's like finding ways to not only inspire listeners or whoever artists out there who might hear this to use whatever their creativity or whatever their art is to create a bigger world for themselves than just sort of myopic thing of their own brain. I don't know. I think it can be limiting what we uh, view ourselves to be. Yeah. And you're such a great example of being a very well-rounded artist. And, and of being a jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> first half of that characterization, <laughs> yes. Latter half, no. Uh, but I, I think, yeah, we we can we can criticize ourselves until we're blue in the face and and look back at at previous works and and think, gosh, uh, those were the works of an immature person. Yeah. Or you can view them as a moment in time, and uh, and then you produce something else at a later stage in life. Look at me. I'm, so, I'm talking myself into writing again. I just really believe in your style. I think it's very beautiful, and I'd like to read a whole book in that style. Cool. Well, thank you. So I'm uh, going to move on to Studio yeah. Company here. Studio. Um, I believe Studio Company is better now than I've ever seen it. And I have been trying to get in studio company since I was about 15. I auditioned a number of times, never got in. uh, And I still think studio company is the best it's ever been right now. And I'd like to know what your mission is for those young dancers in the studio company. What's your greatest wish? Thank you for the kind words. And I wish we could claim you as an (laughs) alum. That would be huge. But of course, we appreciate your support and your uh, involvement in Studio Company. Now, my mission for the dancers of ABT Studio Company is to become professional dancers, of course, full, fully-fledged professional dancers, ideally in ABT. If not in ABT, then in another prominent classical company. Hmm. Beyond that, if we want to dig a little deeper, I want to ideally produce dancers who are versatile, who are uh, erudite in other art forms as well, who are good citizens, who support one another, who are kind to one another, who uh, have um, an awareness of what goes into producing. A, a show that it's not just about the folks who are taking the bow 
and, mm. and getting the applause, but there are all sorts of people behind the scenes contributing to that, um, to that achievement. So yeah, uh, just, uh, that's kind of, those are all very lofty aspirations, but I've been really fortunate to, to work with just absolutely terrific young people mm. who already arrive with, with a lot of those virtues. Um, but w- we do also vet them, vet their personalities and their characters, uh, and try to screen out those we don't think will be a good fit for us. Um, even wow. if they're rock star dancers. Yeah, I think there's something very important about the culture of the dancers at ABT that is highly supportive and um, community oriented. And I think the it's like a big, I don't want to say family, but it's um it's like a hippie commune <laughs> in the best way. Yes, yeah. artists um, doing something impossible, but also you know, swimming alongside one another up that stream. Yeah. Well, Sasha, thank you so much. I'd like to ask you to tell everyone out there where they can, you know, follow your work or where they can, uh, you know, see information about you. Do you have an Instagram or anything? I don't have a professional Instagram. <laughs> I, have, I have one that's devoted to a particular interest of mine which is mountaineering. Yeah. The outdoors. And mm-hmm. it's sort of uh, under the radar Instagram. All right, we won't call that out then. I, yeah. But, uh, ABT studio co I think is the handle. Mm-hmm. And I'm the one posting on there mostly and capturing the videos and the photos and, uh, sure. Give them, give that account a follow if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see the amazing dancers. There are fabulous videos of all the dancers rehearsing, doing class, on tour, you name it. It's a fabulous account. ABT Studio Co. on Instagram. All right, Sasha, thank you so much. James, thank you so much for the interest and for this platform. And love you, bro. Love you too. Keep, Keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep inspiring all of us. Thanks. You too. Don't forget to subscribe and review this podcast. And if you like it, share it with your friends or on social media. You can follow me on all social platforms by searching James Whiteside. My book, Center Center, a funny, sexy, sad, almost memoir, is available everywhere in all formats. Front Row uses music from the song A-flat by Black Violin. Check out the show notes on jamesbwhiteside.com for exclusive video and audio from this podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.